Evening, everyone. Today's Bible reading from Mark Gospel, chapter 2, from verse 1 to 17. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned with themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they, when they, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God. Um, it is great to be with you this evening. If you're uh, visiting with us uh, for the very first time, uh, we don't often get carried away like that um, and sing. But when the spirit moves, uh, <laughs> you have to listen. Um, so what had happened is I was at a wedding this afternoon. That's why I look like this. Uh, again, I don't normally look like this. Um, I pulled up the wrong sermon at the wedding, pulled up this sermon, um, got up there, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is not um, the correct thing. Um, it is a joy to be together this evening. Uh, we're starting um, off. The reason why we asked you during family time to um, ask that question, what, is the, what song would be considered the national anthem? Um, is because um, next week uh, we're starting off a brand new series in the morning service uh, that's geared towards uh, people who just fed up with church, uh, people who don't want anything to do with Jesus, but they want to have conversations. Uh, so we're having a conversation with the culture by looking at some of the songs that have shaped um, our culture over the years. Now, can somebody volunteer to shout out what they think uh, the national anthem the song that would be considered a national anthem, we will not judge you. <laughs> okay. It might or might... We might 
or might not look at Sister Bettina, who knows, uh, come through to, uh, to that uh, Rodinus Kick starting it uh, next week. That's our 9.30, uh, 8 o'clock and 9.30. Um, and then we'll, I'll be doing on the 30th, and then Sean uh, will be covering the last um, bit of that. We are a redeemed family of servants on mission, so that means we're always on mission, uh, so make use of this uh, opportunity. One of the things our rector wants us uh, to focus on this year is reaching the lost and um, raising leaders, and that's what we, uh, we, we want to do, especially with this, um, this series. Now, if you haven't been with us for the last two weeks or so, uh, we've been venturing our way through Mark's Gospel. Uh, we've been looking at uh, it under the title of Under Construction, and we've said that our lives are always uh, under construction. Uh, God always wants to meet us where we are. Uh, he wants to reshape us where we are, and he wants to use us where we are. And that's basically what we're looking at as we journey our way through Mark's gospel, uh, because it's filled with a lot of description and proclamation of who Jesus is, uh, and that, that proclamation has an impact on the life of a disciple, a life of a follower um, um, of Jesus. Nowhere else in the Bible do we see God meeting people where they are, like in the story of Jesus. Um, Jesus is, um, as the Bible teaches, as we have confessed in the Apostles' Creed, a God incarnate, uh, meaning God took on human flesh and came to us in our context with all of our mess uh, to come to bring it to an end, to come and establish uh, God's uh, kingdom. So this uh, short story, Mark's uh, gospel, uh, is, contains uh, the story of Jesus, and we walk with him as he walked the streets of Palestine uh, so that he would reshape us as we walk the streets of Midrand. Uh, and so last week we looked at uh, the fact that uh, we live in a, or rather the world of Mark is the world of brokenness, chaos, and crisis, uh, if you are paying attention. Um, and so we saw that Jesus came to bring, um, to reverse the brokenness, the chaos, and the crisis. How does he do that should be the question that you um, ask yourself. How does Jesus reverse all of the brokenness in our world? Well, in chapter 1, we introduce to Jesus as king, as the ruler of God's world. Uh, and this king has come to establish uh, God's kingdom uh, in this world. And for him to do that uh, means that he has to dethrone all other kings, uh, all other people, all other beings that would claim authority of our lives. Jesus has to dethrone uh, those authorities. And we see him doing it over and over again as he proclaims the gospel message that the king is near, as he heals the sick, and as he exercises and drives out demons. Uh, Jesus is saying that I'm here uh, to reverse uh, the source uh, and the driving force behind uh, the brokenness um, of our world. And so we're continuing with that in mind. Chapter 1 Jesus moves from Galilee to the wilderness, back to Galilee, back into the wilderness. We ended our story with him gaining popularity, and so he withdraws to a desolate place. Uh, and if you read it, 
uh, in the original, it says, well, a desert place. Uh, so there's this movement between desert, which is the domain of the evil one, uh, the place where there is chaos. Uh, Jesus goes into the thick of it, and he goes there to dethrone Satan where he is. And the exorcisms and the miracles are all a picture of this awesome, uh, powerful God. And so we continue uh, with that in mind. We continue to look at Jesus. And we're looking today at two stories. And just from the word go, before I pray for us, I want to give us um, a bit of a structure of where we're going. Uh, we're going to see tonight two stories, two questions, and then a teaching moment. Uh, two stories, uh, two questions, and a teaching moment. Uh, please bow your heads as I uh, pray for us. Father, thank you so much for uh, the songs that we sing, uh, songs about you building your kingdom. So that excitement that we're singing with, uh, Father, I pray that we would carry it into this week as we long for you uh, to bring your kingdom, as we long to see uh, your kingdom come. Uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, our Father in heaven. So please, our Father in heaven, won't you be present with us this evening uh, through your word? Hallowed be your name. I pray that no man will be made much of, but Jesus would be made much of. We pray for your kingdom to come, even as we sing. I pray that the message about Jesus, as it is proclaimed, proclaimed I pray that uh, lives would be changed. I pray that uh, Jesus would begin to take rule in our lives. I pray for those areas where we haven't uh, let him do so, uh, that we would come to repent and believe in him as king. Your will be done. Father, we pray that in this world, as it is in heaven, may your will be done. So as we get into your word, I pray that you speak to us and that your will will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So two stories, uh, two questions, and a teaching moment. And the reason why I just want to jump into the story straight, uh, because I think it has so much relevance to how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive Jesus. The way we look at ourselves and the way we look at Jesus is going to be unearthed as we engage in, uh, in this story. So I want the story to speak, about, uh, speak for itself. Um, if you think about the way we perceive ourselves, I think we live in a culture where we are we must present our best, isn't it? Uh, you have to present your best uh, to the world. If you were to write a bio about yourself, I wonder what words you'd use. Uh, maybe words like self-driven young men uh, or young women, um, self-starter, vibrant, whatever that means. Um, but we use those words uh, and we um, adopt that culture of presenting our very best so much so that we start believing that we're the best. Uh, so much so that we don't see ourselves in the way that God sees um, us. So much so that we don't see our nature and our reality and our condition in the way that God wants us to, um, to see it. And that's what we're going to discover in this story. As Mark goes to the very heart of uh, the gospel message, and it, the theme has been coming up uh, um, uh, from time to time, and I'm going to uh, just show you that Mark has been developing it. 
uh, that if God is going to defeat evil, then there's this still this one thing that he has to deal with, um, our human condition. Um, and our human condition is most often contrary to um, that of um, our, our culture, uh, that of how we, uh, we view ourselves. So two stories, two questions, and one teaching about who Jesus is that radically transforms our lives. Let's get into uh, the first story. It's the story of a paralytic man. Uh, our story is based in Capernaum, um, and that's a place in the region of Galilee. So again, Jesus is moving from the desert, uh, the place of chaos, back into uh, the region of Galilee to continue proclaiming that he is king and to continue to reverse the powers of chaos, of brokenness, and crisis. Uh, so we pick up the story uh, in Capernaum. Uh, so Jesus comes back to, to town and news about him, if you look at verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Uh, he is uh, in somebody's home. Uh, they say it's probably Peter's house that he is in uh, as he continues to proclaim uh, the gospel message. Jesus continues uh, this mission in this house. Have a look at verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room left, not even uh, at the door. Um, and he was preaching the word to them. He was speaking the words with them. I always want to picture myself in that world because we don't live in that world. We live in Midrand, and so we sometimes miss some of the things that are happening. Sometimes we miss the culture because we're not in the culture. Picture yourself in a, a, a mud room, uh, enough to fit, fit about 50 people standing. Uh, and so this is where, where Jesus is. It's packed. It is dark. Maybe there's not uh, even proper ventilation. Um, and they used to walk. So I don't know if you've been to a, a village uh, or just go to Centurion Farm. If you walk around in a place where there's animals, it stinks. Uh, so picture yourself in this room. Everybody's clamped up. And all they want to do is to come here, this uh, preacher who's been healing people, uh, who's been proclaiming that he is king and he's come to rescue uh, God's people. The room is packed, no social distancing. Uh, there's no uh, COVID, um, um, this, uh, what is it you call it? Contact tracing. Everyone is packed in there. And they're just eager to hear Jesus. Some are even peeking uh, at the door because it is, um, it is that packed. And along comes this four men carrying a guy. Well, obviously we can't see them, uh, but have a look at verse 3. It says they came bringing uh, to him a paralytic carried by four men. So introduced to uh, one of the main characters, um, which is the paralytic and his, and his friends. Uh, now, I was very tempted uh, because I'm wearing this holy regalia uh, to start preaching uh, and saying to you, Bazelwani, if I was in a tent... I would pick up the mic and say, saints, there are times in your life when you need friends to carry you to Jesus. You see, we live in a world where friends will leave you and will leave you alone. But we live in a times where we need friends who will carry us to Jesus. Friends who will not leave you 
about friends uh, who lift you. Touch your neighbor and say, are you that kind of friend? (laughs) But this is a different sermon. Um, So picture yourself with this guy. Uh, Picture the struggle, the agony that he's went through. If you are a paralyzed man, probably you can't use his legs. We don't know if you could use his arms. But you are in a pretty desperate situation. Uh, there's no Sasa money to come save you. Um, it's not like there is um, some laws to protect you and to uh, prioritize you if you're looking for work. Your situation is dire. You, you depend on, on, on just living like this. Uh, you depend on people. It is a, a hopeless situation. But here are these friends. Now, I was joking, but not really joking. These are good friends who carry this man uh, to Jesus. Have a look at verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So you're still in this house, you're picturing yourself in this muddy house. Jesus is proclaiming uh, the gospel, and suddenly there's stuff falling uh, from, the, from the roof. Suddenly there's mud hitting you on the eye, and you're looking at the owner, and you're thinking to, them, to yourself, man, I hope he has life ins- um, uh, insurance for this. I hope uh, insurance is going to cover this because this is an issue of breaking and entering. And just as you are there, um, the, the mud keeps falling, uh, and suddenly you see light coming out from the roof. And then you think, no, the owner is in trouble because his roof is uh, collapsing. And then on and on they open it, and then boom, comes down a paralytic man. His situation is uh, hopeless. Everybody can see why this man is there. What does he need? If anything, uh, please heal me. If anything, Jesus, I've heard about your miracle. If you can just lay your hands on me uh, and make me come back to life. Make me regain my life because this is not life. Put yourself in this man's shoes uh, who is utterly and completely dependent on Jesus to move and do something in his life. Have a look at verse 5. Jesus says something that you and I don't expect, that the audience who were in that room did not expect, uh, that the readers of Mark's gospel did not expect. Verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. How disappointing. (laughs) And of course this raises a question. But we're not there yet. We're going to see uh, that question. The statement that Jesus makes raises a question. So that's the first story. The second story is the story of another calling. Uh, So we've had so far uh, two callings. Uh, Firstly, uh, it was uh, those um, uh, those fishermen. uh, And then Jesus, it says, Jesus calls them and immediately uh, they followed him. And this time around we get a calling uh, but this time it's somebody different. It's not just an ordinary uh, guy who works as a fisherman. This is a guy who has all the money in the world. 
This is the guy who works alongside the Roman government. He's collected money and taxes from people. Um, he's working with the opposition, uh, the oppressive government. Um, and not only is he good at his job in collecting taxes, he does it even beyond. Um, he, he goes on to collect more for himself. And so you can imagine the political tension uh, that this guy is a sellout, but not only that, um, that he does not belong um, to those who would call themselves God's people. He has stood against um, God's people. Have a look at the state in the second story. And we went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them, verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the text booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as they reclined at the table at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Again, <laughs> this is missed um, on us. What is the big deal? What we've been told where Jesus went to have lunch? That has nothing to do with us. We live in a world of beggar king and instant pup, isn't it? Uh, so we don't understand um, food culture and what it means to invite somebody or to hang out with somebody at a meal. There's something powerful here that Jesus is doing. There's something powerful and countercultural uh, that Jesus is doing. Listen to what um, one writer says about um, this um, Jesus reclining at a table. He says that in the East, even today, to invite a person to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. He is the creator of the universe. If you think he would come today, let's say 2022, Medrand, uh, probably with a mask, um, where do you think he would hang out? I think very often we think that he, he would be at churches, um, just praising us for all the awesome stuff that we do. Um, that's what people expected. Um, here's this man who's preaching with so much authority. Surely he's one of us. We want to hear a bit about what he has to say, but I think he's, he's one of us. And so for him to sit with people who are considered outcasts, it is one of the most profound things uh, that the king does. Now let me just pause it there and say, if this is what our king does, if we claim to follow him, then what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of people should we be accepting at our tables? Another writer says, mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremonially rich, um, a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Jesus is expressing friendship, intimacy, and unity with the corrupt politicians of the day. How profound is that? And this raises another question, but we're going to get um, into this question um, as we move to point two. So two stories, one of a man who's paralyzed, 
comes to Jesus seeking for healing, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What's that all about? It raises a question. Second story, Jesus calls this man, who is a corrupt politician, and extends his hand of friendship to him. Two stories. Let's look at the two questions uh, that those stories raise. The first story, the story of the healing of the paralytic. I'm sure we're surprised as to why you would say his sins are forgiven. Are you saying that he's paralyzed because of his sin? What are you, what are you intending to mean, uh, Jesus? Have a look at verse 6. Some of the scribes, uh, those who, are, who knew the law, those who studied the scriptures, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Listen to this. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this guy think he is um, to say to a mere man, um, as a mere man, that your sins are forgiven? Just think about it this evening. Uh, Rafa is quite a tall man, very big. Um, and then Black is, um, he calls himself a Zulu man. <laughs> Uh, I promise I'll never mock Black, but uh, he, he keeps, he keeps uh, bringing it. But look at uh, Black uh, with his amazing stature. Uh, Rafa comes. I don't know what Black did to him, but he just gives him a varam clap. And then I say to Black, or rather I say to Rafa, I forgive you. That doesn't make sense, does it? Um, that is why the, the scribes, they're asking a good question. If you are a mere man, if we're sinning and we sin against God, how is it that you, a mere man, would say to somebody, your sins are forgiven? What is Jesus saying in that very moment? I think he's pro- proclaiming something powerful about the nature of a king that he is the nature of the authority that he has. And that's one of the consistent themes that you see in chapter 1 and also chapter 2, that this is no ordinary man. This is a man with authority. This is God in the flesh. And what does God do when he's in the flesh? Well, he comes to forgive sins. He comes to deal with the very thing, the very root of the human problem, human rebellion, and human sin. (laughs) We look beautiful, don't we, this evening? Um, The wedding that I went to, the the bride and the groom just look so beautiful. It is very hard to uh, conceive of ourselves as sinners, isn't it? It's very hard to conceive ourselves as people whose fundamental issue is that we've shook our face, our fist in the face of God. And it is very hard to accept a Jesus who has come to forgive sins. Well, we like him forgiving sins, but very often it's like, yeah, you came to forgive sins, but it's not my sin. Jesus came to forgive our sins, and that is an in, not insulting statement, but that says something about the human nature. It means that we are sinners. It means we are sinners in need of the gospel and in need of forgiveness and for the kingdom of God to be established in this world, sin has to be dealt with. Um, God has to 
forgive. And God came in the person of Jesus, coming to forgive sins. Have a look at verse 8. And immediately, so they asked this question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen something like this. We've never seen anything like this. That question, which is easier to say? To this guy, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk. Well, on the one hand, it's very easy to say your sins are forgiven because we can't validate that, isn't it? Uh, it's quite difficult to say, rise up, because we're going to see if he doesn't rise, like the church I went to in Rustenburg. Um, <laughs> the guy, so this is not funny because the guy was actually in need of healing, but it um, steps in, guy lays hands on him, nothing happens, and he says to him, I believe God told me you will walk. And I'm like, you are a liar. Because I don't think that man walked. So which is easier to say? It is easier to say your sins are forgiven, but also given the context of where Jesus is preaching, it is not easy to say your sins are forgiven, because that is claiming the most ultimate authority. That is claiming the position of God. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing. But here are two impossible things. One, it is impossible for men to forgive the sins of others because they're not God. Our sins are an uh, uh, offense to God, the creator. Another impossible thing to do is to say to a paralytic man, get up from your mat, pick it up and, and walk. What does Jesus do? He does the impossible, heals this man, so as to show that the Son of Man has authority to do the other impossible thing that is not visible. That is what Mark wants this uh, people um, to come to realize. And it's right there. The question is, is he blaspheming? Well, what does he say of himself? He has authority to forgive sins. He has authority in this world um, to forgive, to forgive sins. Now the second story, or rather the second question. Though the two stories, you still with me? First story, paralytic man. Second story, a party of uh, politicians with their what is that Merck? That long car? The V? Is it V plus? Yeah, so Jesus is hanging out with those. And those two stories bring out two questions. The first one we just answered. Jesus is claiming authority to forgive sin. The second question, have a look at verse 16. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, said to his disciples, 
Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So that's the second question. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Surely you should not associate with those people, Jesus. And when, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, this is a teaching moment. This is a profound moment. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Purple statement, why did Jesus come? What is he all about? What is he doing? This is what the kingdom is about. I've, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I often think, initially when I read this story, that Jesus is saying that the scribes are righteous, but he isn't. I think he's putting it back to them, uh, that they lack to, uh, the ability to perceive that they also in need of a physician. One powerful preacher once said, the, what did he say? This is why I should stick to my notes. <laughs> <laughs> two stories. Um, two stories. Two questions. And Jesus answers them. The first answer is that he has authority to forgive sins. The second one is that he came to call the right, not the righteous, uh, but sinners. Notice the common thing in those two stories. Someone want to shout it out? Sin, what else is there? The metaphor and the picture that the, Jesus uses to describe sin is sickness. And Jesus came to heal our sickness. Two stories, two questions, two answers, and a teaching point. And the teaching point of our story is this, that the only way to live a healthy and flourishing life in this world is if the sickness of human sin is completely healed. And Jesus came to do exactly that. Jesus came to heal us from our sin. Jesus came to reverse the powers of brokenness, chaos, and crisis by coming to deal not only with the evil world, but with the weapon of the evil world. The weapon that Satan has against us is that we are sinners. We are people who continually rebel against God. Genesis is filled with stories upon stories of humanity spiraling out of control, moving from rebellion to more rebellion. The story of, if you have time to read um, Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4, you'll see that there's so many similarities there, but chapter 4 is worse than chapter 3. So it seems like humanity sins and goes off to become even worse, and yet God has come uh, to deal with that. He has come uh, to deal with us. And the only way for us to live in God's kingdom, the only way for God to establish his kingdom, which means simply that he's ruling again. Imagine that. Imagine God ruling over your life. Imagine God ruling over Midrand. How different would that be? Yet in Jesus, God has come to do exactly that. God has come to deal decisively with human sin. Now, three questions that I want to, to live with us uh, this evening. Number one is, do we see ourselves as that? Your, your self-perception, your bio, 
I wonder what you put there. Do we see ourselves as people who are continually falling in sin, continually have this determination to be at the center of our lives and to remove God from there? That's not very encouraging, is it? (laughs) But that's the human reality, that that is who we are. And as I said before, I'm going to show you that this is all, this is what um, Mark has been trying to tell us this whole time. Go back to chapter 1, verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. People are confessing their sins because for the kingdom to come, sin has to be dealt with. Have a look at Verse 8, and I have baptized you with water, but he, that is the one who is coming, the king of God's kingdom, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what's happening there, John is coming, proclaiming that people's humanity has sinned against God. They need to come back to God. So he baptizes them in the river Jordan to reenact a type of cleansing, um, to have a visual aid to them, uh, that for them to enter into a relationship with God and to thrive in their relationship with God, their sins need to be washed. But in verse 8, he points to Jesus and says he is going to do something more powerful because he's going to deal with sin, not just by the washing of uh, your body because it doesn't do anything, but from the inside out. And that is what Jesus has come to do, to wash us from the inside out, to deal with sin by baptism is like trying to treat a COVID patient by sanitizing their hands. Doesn't work, does it? You need something profound. You need something to heal you from the inside out. And that is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to deal with human rebellion. One commentator says that healing, that is physical healing, as we as you use it as a picture of um, inward healing, healing is a gracious movement of God into the sphere of withering and decay, which are tokens of death at work in a man's life. Without God, without him intervening in our lives, we will remain sick and it will lead to death and decay. But Jesus has come to deal with that I wonder if you see yourself as that. I wonder if you see Jesus as that. A Jesus who has come to tell you, he's going to tell you, um, for those who don't know the heavenly language, uh, <laughs> that actually isn't, right? I was speaking so too. Um, it's, it's almost the heavenly language. Um, <laughs> um, he's come to just, Lay out your files. If Jesus has come to deal with sin, (laughs) that means you and me are sinners. That means we perceive him, not that this guy uh, of the modern age, this activist uh, who loves the poor, that means we love him even when he tells us the most difficult things. I wonder if you see him that way. The last question that I want to ask you, 
I wonder what would happen if you came to realize that Jesus has come to heal you. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life, in your personal walk, I wonder if, if you're to believe it. Because very often we hear the word. We agree with the word. But sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes many of us come from places where we've been disappointed. So many times people who promised to show up for you never showed up for you. Maybe your dad was supposed to show up for you and he never came. And so you build this thing that if someone says, I'll show up for you, you don't really believe them. You don't really believe them. I mean, you agree with them, but in your head you're like, I know they're going to disappoint me. So let me not get my hopes up. And very often we bring that in how we relate to God, isn't it? Um, that we know the word, we agree that that's an objective reality, but it hasn't sunk to pierce us in our hearts. That God came for you. That God will never disappoint you. That in your struggles you can run to him because he first came to these people. Did the paralytic ask for forgiveness? No. But Jesus had it on offer. He had it on offer. He's the one who steps out to this broken people. He's the one who can step out into your life uh, to bring restoration and healing. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for this, uh, your word. Uh, thank you for the portraits of the life of Jesus. Uh, thank you that we can walk with him, uh, that he can reshape us. Thank you that as we encounter this unfolding story, we get a glimpse more and more into what it means for you to be king. I pray for someone who came in, Lord, who is just tired and fed up, tired of struggling, tired of feeling like they have not matched up to you. Pray that you would Remind them and help them engrave it in their hearts that you are there, that you can come through for them. I pray for many of us who, who are religious, who come to church week in, week out, who know the stories, who know the right things to say, uh, but we are struggling with unbelief and with sin in our lives. I do pray that you'd be king over us. Pray that you'd intervene and change us from the inside out. I pray that you'd make us people who want you and who see the joy of Jesus being king. Lord, you, only you can do it uh, through your spirit. Lord, we thank you ultimately for the cross, the place where sin is ultimately dealt with. Pray that we would anticipate that section of Mark's gospel, that we go on and feast um, in this gospel. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.